0: In this episode, we are studying Genesis chapter 33, and it is here that we read the account of Jacob's long-anticipated meeting with Esau. So join me as we continue our walk through the Old Testament. Today's story of Jacob's reconciliation with Esau can be divided into five sections. The first section, we see Jacob approaching Esau humbly in verse one to four. Then we see Jacob sharing about his life with Esau in verse five to seven. Then Jacob asks for a sealing of the reconciliation in verse eight to 11. Fourth, we see Jacob seeing proof of the reconciliation in verse 12 to 16. And finally, we see Jacob experiencing the results of reconciliation in verses 17 to 20. So let's begin today's story with Jacob approaching Esau humbly beginning in verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants and their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So we see in these first four verses that Jacob's meeting with his brother Esau turned out far better than Jacob could have imagined. God had changed the heart of Esau and Esau was eager to be reconciled with his brother. Now, In the preparation to meet Esau, we still see Jacob showing signs of weakness of his faith. And we see that favoritism presented itself again in the way that he splits his family apart. He lined up his family and his possessions in the order of their importance to him. Notice that he starts with his two maidservants and their children out in front, followed by Leah's group behind them, And then finally, Rachel and Joseph in the back where they would be the safest. I can only imagine what was running through the minds of each family member, the wives, the servants, the children, as they watched Jacob line them up. But then we see Jacob going on ahead to meet his brothers, bowing down seven times to the ground, paying homage. Now some have seen this or interpret this as true humility and a gracious attempt to be reconciled while others think that this is simply Jacob groveling in fear. But Jacob's fears were quickly dispelled as Esau eagerly runs to meet Jacob, hugging him and kissing him. And we explained in previous studies of the importance of this type of kiss to your kindred. Welcoming close relatives, family, friends with a kiss was a commonplace in the Near East. And this embrace caused deep, complex emotions to overflow. And we see here that both Jacob and Esau weeping. Their fear and anger dissolved in the flow of their tears. What an answer to prayer. God had delivered Jacob from Esau's revenge. Well, let's continue reading in verse 5 in this next section where Jacob shares about his life with Esau. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. So we see here that once Esau composes himself, he inquires and asks Jacob about the women and children. Identifying himself as Esau's servant, Jacob answers that these were the children whom God had graciously given him, acknowledging that it had been God that was with him in Padumaram, And he then formally introduces his family to Esau. Each group came forward and respectfully bowed down before Esau. Jacob presented his wives in the ascending order of their social status and his affection. So first we see Bilhah and Zippah and their four boys, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Next, there's Leah and her seven children doing the same, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, and Dinah. And finally, Rachel and her son, Joseph. And I think it is significant that Jacob sees this as a work of God and his grace. For he says, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Well, Esau had now been formally introduced to Israel and the genesis of the chosen people. Let's continue in verse 8 as we see Jacob asking for a seal of reconciliation. Esau said, what do you, mean, do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. So naturally now, Esau asked the meaning of all these animals that he had passed. And Jacob answered that they had been placed along the way in order that he might win Esau's favor. Well, I think appreciating Jacob's deference, uh, Esau declines the gifts and saying that he had plenty. Now, among the people of the Near East, it really wasn't proper to accept a large present without strongly protesting. And so, Jacob countered by pressing him to accept this gift. And to accept carries the idea that the gift being received for the purpose it was given. And so, Jacob added that for him seeing Esau's face was like seeing the face of God. And we had. Again, alluded in our previous study when Jacob wrestled God and saw him face to face uh, at Penuel, uh, the importance of this imagery about approaching someone's face and what seeing their face is like. Well, in that moment of reconciliation, Esau represented God to Jacob. And reconciliation is one of the fruits of the blessing that Jacob had received when he had wrestled his divine enemy uh, or divine foe in chapter 32. And the fact that Esau did not even mention the wrongs he had suffered at Jacob's hands, I think, confirmed his unconditional forgiveness of his brother. So again, Jacob insisted that Esau take these gifts and referring to them as a blessing, And with this term, I think he made Esau aware that accepting them was compensation for Jacob having stolen their father's blessing back in Genesis 27. Jacob is seeking to persuade his brother, stressing that this wealth came from God's graciousness to him. And so Esau could accept these gifts without any sense of depriving his brother. But I think even more significant than that, in accepting the gifts, Esau would be affirming that God's blessing was on Jacob's life and that God had intended the blessing of Abraham to go with Jacob. And so Esau yielded to Jacob's pressure and accepted this gift or these gifts. And in this act, I think Esau was humbling himself and he was honoring his brother's desire to relinquish any claim that he had against Jacob. And this gift sealed a bond between them, a bond that had not existed at any time in their life, including their youth. Well, let's continue reading as we see Jacob's proof of reconciliation beginning in verse 12. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly, at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of my people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. So enthusiastically, Esau stated to Jacob that both of them needs to resume their journey, and he offered to accompany Jacob on their way. His men would go on in front to provide Jacob protection as they travel to his homeland in Seir, and he is thus inviting Jacob to live there with him. But we see here that Jacob actually protests. And he does so by commenting that the fast pace of Esau's company would be hard on his young children and for the female lambs and cows that were nursing their young. Jacob, however, was really intending to go back to Canaan, not Seir. And I think Jacob was probably apprehensive that if they traveled together, maybe there might be some friction that might again arise between the two groups. And so Jacob suggests that Esau go on his way, leaving Jacob to travel at his own pace, and eventually he would meet them at Saire. Now, there is no evidence that Jacob ever planned to go to Saire, so this comment is puzzling. There are some that interpret it as yet another example of Jacob using deception, but I really think that it's best to understand this as Jacob's polite refusal of Esau's offer, with both brothers realizing that Jacob is never going to make it to Sire. Nevertheless, uh, Esau extends the invitation to his brother again, offering to leave some of his men to assist and even protect Jacob, but Jacob continues to decline. And I think it's important that Jacob here withstanding Esau's friendly overtures in order that Jacob might return and settle in the land of Canaan in accordance with God's promises to Abraham. And so, recognizing Jacob's determination to go his own way, Esau himself goes back to Sair. Now, this re- reunion, I guess, demonstrates a desired outcome of making peace with God to win reconciliation with a brother, even a brother deeply offended. And notice that when Jacob and Esau parts, there is no boundary stone that had to be erected. This is very different than Jacob and Laban back in chapter 31. But also notice that while Jacob and Esau had reconciled, they did not seem to still establish a warm relationship. And in fact, the only other report of them meeting together ever again is at the funeral of their father Isaac, later in Genesis chapter 35, verse 29. Well, let's read the final section of today's passage, where Jacob experiences the results of reconciliation, beginning in verse 17. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock, and therefore, the name of the place is called Sakoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padamaram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So, at the end of this chapter, we can see the miraculous changes that had begun to take place in both men. Esau was changed, from seeking revenge to desiring reconciliation. And Jacob was forced to depend on God to deliver him, which prompted in him a spirit of humility and generosity, even if some fears and deceptive practices still remained. The final verses of this chapter form an epilogue to Jacob's adventures outside of the promised land of Canaan. He returned to the promised land in peace with a large family and many possessions. And he camped near Shechem, directly west of the Jabbok, about 20 miles into Canaan from the Jordan River. Now, Shechem was between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And this was the place where Abraham had first camped when he arrived in Canaan back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. Now, at that time, the text indicated that the Canaanites were in the land. But soon, Jacob's family would realize this same reality and the associated dangers with living among the Canaanites. Now, in this section, Jacob names two more places. Now, he had already named Bethel in Genesis chapter 28. Yalid in chapter 31, Mahanim in chapter 32, and Peniel in chapter th- uh, 32 also. He names his first settlement Sakoth. And Sakoth means booths or sheds. And Jacob chose this name for the place because of the stalls or the booths that he had built for all his livestock. And then he traveled on to Canaan and arrived at Shechem. Now, desiring to settle in Shechem for a hundred pieces of money or silver he had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, this was a plot of land where Jacob who will now pitch his tent. Now, since the value of this unit of silver can't really be determined, it's difficult to know how expensive this field was. But like Abraham before him, Jacob came to own a plot of the land of promise as a foretaste of the promise that his descendants would occupy the land. And he expresses his devotion to God by setting up an altar and calling the place El Elohe Israel. Now, by building an altar instead of setting up a pillar, as was Jacob's previous custom, he I think he was intentionally emulating his grandfather Abraham. But we see also Jacob's imprint, for on this act of devotion, Uh, The verb in the text here is set up, and it's a verb that's used in accordance with setting up a pillar, uh, a stone pillar, not with building an altar. And in naming the altar El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel, Jacob uses the term El, which is the same term that's used uh, to ascribe the local God El in Canaan. But he then follows it with the God of Israel, Elohei, Israel, and that is Jacob using his new name Israel and enthusiastically heralding his new relationship with his God, fulfilling his earlier vow to worship God back in Genesis chapter 28. Well, in our next study, we're going to see that Jacob's peaceful residence here in Shechem is very short-lived so stay tuned.